got no idea what's going on in my body right now, <laughs> but I've got about a thousand volts running through me, folks. I can hardly stand here. There's a very, very, very strong presence of God up here. Very strong presence of God. In fact, I haven't felt this overwhelmed in a very long time. So, here we are. Beginning of a new year, beginning of a new day, and this year began with, with as I mentioned last week, I woke up and God was in my room, wanted me to know that, and called me to turn aside from food for the year. Not for a month, not for a week, but to plan out the year and to look at how we would go about that. And that began an immediate search in me, a quest in my spirit to go back and revisit these things that we think we know, but we don't know. So often that's the case, isn't it? We presume we know, and then we realize we know absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing about these things. And I have revisited fasting and restudied the whole, the whole concept of it. And it's been an eye-opener for me. Let me share some. Let me begin this morning with Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. I'm glad this is Paul talking because I would never be so harsh. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. But Paul is incredibly severe with the way he speaks to Christians here. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now look at what he's saying. Wake up, so why do you say that? Because someone is asleep. Rise from the dead. Why do you say that? They're dead. They're dead. Christians dead, eh? Let the light shine on you. Why would you want to shine light on that which is dark? That which is dark. Turn to Isaiah. You'll see the same thing again. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 1. Look at this. Every time you see the word awake, awake in scripture, it means pray. When you see the word sleep, it means people are not praying. Okay? So Isaiah 52 verse 1. Awake, awake, pray, pray Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Now, eyes forward, please. Just look at me a moment. I said I could never be as harsh as Paul, so I'm glad it's in the Bible. If you're a Christian who doesn't pray, now, I don't mean God bless mommy, God bless daddy at the end. I don't mean that. That's a joke for us Pentecostals. That's an insult, to be honest with you. Do it, but it's a joke. What does Paul say a Christian who doesn't pray is? Nice and blunt. He says, you, you know, no wonder everywhere Jesus went, people were shocked with the severity of what he had to say. They were overwhelmed by him, right? They didn't expect him to say the things he said. And I don't want Jesus to walk up to me and say, you're dead. In his eyes, if a Christian is not engaged in a living, you know, relational prayer life so that they're speaking and hearing, right? Then that Christian is it's in your Bible. But it gets worse. Paul says, wake up and come into the light. So where are they? They're in darkness. So if you have become over the years lethargic or apathetic, Scripture has some very scary things to say. A non-praying Christian is not just asleep, they're dead, and a prayerless life is a life that has been overcome by 
darkness. Overwhelmed by darkness. That is, is that scary or is that scary? Now, Scripture talks about the last days and how things are going to dramatically change as we get ready for the return of God, how darkness will increase upon the earth, but light is supposed to increase within us, that we become beacons of that light and, and you know, uh, a searchlight to this world, directing them to Christ. I heard a, a testimony by Benny Hinn, which I thought was a fantastic vision that he had he was on a train and he was praying to God and he he saw this vision he was walking with a vast crowd of people and he was in the crowd and Jesus was leading the crowd and for a long time the pace was the same everybody was walking and Jesus was walking but then something changed and all of a sudden Jesus began to pick up the pace And Benny Hinn noticed in his vision how the crowd began to separate. And a gap began to open up between the people and Jesus. And he ran ahead and caught up with Jesus. And he said, what's happening? And Jesus, typical, had nothing to say about the crowd. He simply said, will you keep pace? Will you keep pace? And I just felt, you know, the visitation that I have experienced on New Year's Day was basically that same challenge to me and thus to you. As the world changes, as times change, am I going to be able to keep pace? Will you be able to keep pace with the great and terrible days that are coming on the face of the world? Because that's what Scripture promises me. At this point, we're looking at fasting. Fine. We can take this you know, thought in any direction we want. Um, Many of you do not fast. You have tried to fast, but you have failed. And part of the reason we dealt with that a little bit last week, guilt will stop you fasting. It's no friend of yours. It's from hell. Get rid of it. Have no part in it. But also, many of you are at, at, we're all religious at base nature, but some of you are still practicing those religious ways. For example, in your giving, you never want anybody to know what you give when you pray. You know, you, don't, you want to keep it a secret type thing. Or in our fasting, you will only do it if it's secret. This is a flaw. This is an error that will stop you fasting. Eyes forward, pay attention. When I seek to fast and I fail on my own, then I will always go to Jeanette. I would go to my wife and I would say, look, I tried to fast yesterday. I failed. No problem. Will you fast with me? Now my fast is no longer secret. Now my fast is public, because when I tried in secret, I failed. So therefore, I cannot manage it on my own, so I will make my fast public like the apostles did. They fasted Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever it was. Then, once I've established that and I've broken through with a partner or with the church, then I can start looking at private fasting, etc., etc. So just as with our giving, we need help collectively just as with our prayer time we need to pray as we've just heard collectively we do that first and then eventually these things take a grip on our private world which is what God ultimately wants so I want you to reconsider your perspective on fasting and think about why it has not worked for you in the past and re-engage because the gates of heaven are open for us on this topic right now re-engage in 2015 and see where God will take you Take me as we obey him on this. Could I have the first 
slide up there. Five simple questions that we should ask ourselves before we begin anything to do with fasting. I'll read from Zechariah, if you could turn there, Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 5. Ah, I don't know why I can't get that thing. Why does that not come up? Okay, I see. I got it. I'll read from verse 4. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years. That's a long fast, right? Was it really for me that you fasted? Terrible question. I mean, a real indictment. And as I start to look at it, as you start to look at this coming year, about setting aside some time, I think it's pertinent that right at the beginning we ask ourselves, I've given you five simple points. Could you put them all up, please? Just, just stick them up there and we'll work our way through them. Is God leading me? Remember in the Gospels, John's Gospel, when it talks about Jesus Christ, it says he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be fasted, uh, to, to fast for 40 days. So it was spirit-led. Okay? Now, there is a discipline aspect to fasting, because Jesus said, when you fast, not if. But I, I, I want you to think and invite God to create a, a, a spirit to which God will come and guide you and lead you, lead us collectively into what he wants us to do in this coming year. Secondly, what are the specific aims of the fast that I am embarking on. Nearly every single fast in Scripture, you will see there was an aim, there was a goal, they had a purpose that will become more obvious as the day goes on. Number three, what are my motives? Very important one for me. It's not a diet. Amen? Hallelujah. It's not a diet. As we mentioned last week, there are some physiological benefits. In fact, there's a lot to fasting. Um, But I don't, to be honest... Uh, I don't know if you could pay God a greater insult than to mention the word diet and fasting in the same breath. So don't play games here, folks. This has got nothing whatsoever on this planet or in the next life to do with, with, with a diet. So get that very, 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 very clear. If you come that route, you're not going to fast anyway because you'll be eating by 12 o'clock. It's not going to work because it's a bad, corrupted motive. You need to get your motives straight that you are destined and wanting to seek hard after God, to respond to his call, and be very, you know, ruthless and brutal with yourself. Number four, what results am I expecting from this fast? And we'll see in a moment the different types of fast that God calls us into. And fifthly, and most difficultly, in my opinion, is am I determined to minister unto God through the length of the fast I'm embarking on? Acts chapter 13 Take a look at this. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It says here that as the apostles... My Bible's playing up. Acts chapter 13. It says that as they prayed and fasted and ministered unto the Lord, right? Sorry, my version's gone. It says they ministered unto the Lord as they fasted. Now, eyes forward. Those of you who are determined to set your face like flint and embrace this, I warn you, day one, when you first stop eating on that first day, you can pray. You can probably pray really well. And on the second day, probably really well. And on the third day, maybe well. But once you get past that third, fourth, fifth day, it becomes increasingly difficult, I find, 
to minister unto the Lord. Okay, the, the, the worship becomes harder, the prayer becomes harder, but then you have glorious moments of breakthrough. Wonderful times of intense communion with God, but it is not easy. And I personally, I find that last point the hardest thing, because you're holding yourself together uh, because you haven't had food for one, two, three, four, five days. But that's not the point of the fast. It's not just that, is it? It's getting into the presence of God. It's, it's paving that highway between you and him and then letting him, you know, speak to you, speak through you, prophesy through you, pray through you. That's what you're available for. But before that can happen, I need to worship the Lord during my fast. Give him dedicated times of worship. I need to make my spirit available for, for praying to him. Okay, whatever he wants, whatever his will is, seeking and finding him. And then just going with the flow, as it were, in the Spirit. So as promised, I said this week, we would look at the types of fast that Scripture gives us. And we'll look at them one at a time. And every person here should be able to employ one of these fasts. The last one being the 40 days is the most, obviously, prolonged and significant. We need to treat that quite differently from all the rest. But the first type of fast... Scripture speaks about a three-day fast in times of crisis, in times of panic, in times of trial. If a sudden crisis befalls your family, befalls your home, look at Esther chapter 4. Turn to Esther chapter 4 verse 16, 15. You know the story. There was a plot to destroy the Jews. Still a plot on the earth today, right? (laughs) Seeing plenty of that recently. There's a plot to destroy the Jews. Haman tries to negotiate his way through a whole terrible conundrum of situations and Mordecai and Esther get together. Verse 15, Esther chapter 4. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a brave thing, eh? What an excellent thing she did there. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 8. You'll see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. Remember, Paul killed Christians. And one day he becomes born again. The Lord knocks him off his horse, whatever. He sees the light. So if you've been killing Christians and you just realize that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've got a crisis in your life. Because you're a prime enemy of God on the earth. So Paul goes into a bit of a panic. Acts chapter 9 verse 7. But I I want you to see what Paul did when he was in crisis. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Look at this. For three days he was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. And what happened because of that? In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision and sends him to Paul. You will see in scripture that when crisis hits an individual or a family or a nation, the response that God seems to act upon is a dedicated three-day separation unto him for a very specific relief of that crisis. Not one day, three days. You'll see one day in other places. Amen? Amen. 
good to know, good to remember, because, folks, life is life. We will all face calamity. We will all face potential disaster of some sort, sometime. And it's good to know that God is there and he's listened to gazillions of people before you and before me. So remember that. You can keep those scriptures. That's what Paul did. That's what Esther did. And both of them saw the immediate response of God, in fact. The second type of fast is a 21-day partial fast. I'll show you this first and we can talk about it. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. I'll read from verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war, the understanding of the message to come in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks, 21 days. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all the three we- until the three weeks were over. So that's Daniel. He is confused about the future of his people. He needs to hear from God. He wants to know where he's going. Anybody there? (laughs) He wants to know where his future lies. He needs to know. It's for revelation. He wants to know the plan of God, the will of God for his life. Now, some people don't want to know that. Many people don't seek God because they actually don't want to know God's will for their life. But if you're serious and you commit yourself to God, and you are willing, then we see in Daniel, twice in the book of Daniel, that he sets aside in this occasion a 21-day partial fast to understand, to clear the fog out of his future. And in the same chapter, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 14, you will see that God at the end of the 21 days was very quick to send an angel to speak to Daniel and to give him the explanation. Verse 14. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people. There's the answer. Daniel wanted to know the future. He wanted to help his people. He fasted 21 days, a partial fast. And God sends an angel to speak to him and to guide him about where he will go and what will happen. Now, when, I, when he says partial fast, some of you are on tablets. And I understand that. You maybe have medication. And you can say, well, can I fast? I would say to you, if you're on medication of any sort, you should definitely go and talk to your doctor before embarking on any type of fast. We're not at war with doctors. We can work hand in hand and complement one another totally. There's no problem there, so don't make an issue that isn't one. But if you have any questions whatsoever, you should go and see your doctor and talk through that you want to go on a fast and see what he, she says about that. Um, And if you're going to go over three days on water, you may want to do that anyway. You may want to just talk that through yourself. And certainly, for a 40-day fast, I wouldn't embark on such a... I wouldn't embark on anything more than 21 without at least some very serious consultation amongst ourselves with your pastors and, if necessary, with medical advice. But those of you who are on tablets say, well, I can't fast. You can't. Because there's a partial fast right here. Okay? So you can still do it. You're not excluded, but do it wisely. Folks, it's, I've, said, I've shared this with you before. One of the saddest things about my life and ministry, and if you did my job, you would have the same pain in your heart, is that people who just follow life, you know, if you, if you don't lead your life, life's going to lead you, baby. 
And if you don't make a decision at some point in your life to, to, to lay all before God and ask him to come and speak, he will speak. But we do not want to hear because we have our own little pathetic, minuscule little plans. And we take the Ishmael, we take the silver, and we never reach the gold. I've said it the, all, all the time I've been here. But very few people ever jump ship. No wonder Jesus walked through the crowds and he called the Peters and the Andrews and the James and the Johns. And I hope today he's still here. The same Jesus. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers, laborers into the harvest fields. Pray for that. So folks, do not harden your heart in a day like this. And if you don't know your future, if you don't know what your future holds, for heaven's sake, 21 days is not long. Amen? I can see you all thinking, it is quite long. (laughs) 21 days is not long. You could do without breakfast or dinner or whatever. It's a partial fast. You're not going to die, right? It'll probably do you a lot of good. Is it worth it? Isn't it worth it to know the will of God? Isn't it worth it to know that you're on the right road? That you're, Jesus, God help us. Just a few days after New Year when I began to fast, you know, I didn't even seek God for some things, but... You would just be out walking and praying and suddenly I would get, oh, I see. Well, that's what that was about. Well, I never. Not even asking for revelation, not asking so much for that. But it's really like fog. Fog begins to clear. I begin to understand the whole Jeanette situation so much more clearly. I'm not going to tell you or anybody else as long as I live. Oh, there's a lot of fog there, Lord. I couldn't see that. But it doesn't have to make you feel very peaceful in your heart <laughs> when you understand things. The spirit of revelation. Or, of course, you can just go ahead and eat for the next 21 days. And then nothing's going to change, is it? The same as the previous 21 days. And then when those 21 days are over, you can eat again. And how long will we go on like this, huh? Like I said last week, my favorite scripture. What did I gain? What did I gain? And let me do this, as I don't mean, um, this is not a rebuke, I'm just challenging you, so please take it in the right spirit. Last Sunday I said, we're not going to fast this week. Instead, we're going to celebrate today, we're going to come back, have a feast today, and then we'll go forth. Do you know what? Several people couldn't wait. Several people went out and said, it's a week, I don't want to wait a week, I'm going to start right now. And they went home, Monday, they stopped eating. Tuesday, Wednesday. What about you? What about you? We go to church a long time. And the problem with that, you know Israel? They followed the Lord. They followed the cloud for thousands of years. And then when the Lord showed up, they missed him. And you can come to church all your life. But the Sunday that God shows up, the Sunday that he gives the word, you miss it. Because we're so used to just sitting here and going through that door at the end of this meeting. Am I right or am I wrong? Sorry, I'm right for me, I'm right for you. So I want to challenge you, as Paul says, with the sincerity of others. If other people in weaker state than you, then how dead, how asleep, how much in darkness are you really? Don't dump what I'm saying, but let it be an encouragement. Say, do you know what? I will rise to the challenge. I will, like Esther be available in the day and the hour that Christ has placed me on this earth, I will not be found asleep, Lord. 
I forgot this in the boot of my car. I bought this banner when I was walking through Lewis's. I was writing this message, and I saw this banner. It, I couldn't believe my eyes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'll show it to you later. It's for the wall. It's a plaque, and it says this. I don't know what it means. It says, let him sleep, because if he wakes up, he's going to move mountains. <laughs> That's it. No scripture, no nothing. Let him sleep. And I was writing the very thing. And Wake up, wake up. So I bought it. I took it home. I'm going to put it beside my bed. <laughs> so when I wake up and I'm going to say, get up, quick. Let him sleep. I think it's the devil talking, you know. Let him sleep. Don't wake him up. Let the Christians sleep. So they don't do their job. <laughs> awake, awake. Let Christ's light shine on you. Amen. So the first fast, a three-day fast in times of crisis. The second fast, when you don't know where your life is going. You're lost and you're confused and you're just taking the choices. You're making your choices the way the world makes its choices. That's why Paul says you're in darkness. These Christians are in darkness. They're dead. Thirdly, one day for consecration. And this is, this is beautiful. We, we all walk in the spirit you know all know what it is to walk in the spirit wonderful worship this morning by the way really fantastic and the anointing is firmly upon you nisha but you can walk out that door get in the car and have an argument with your husband don't nod so vigorously <laughs> you can right and then god's gone and that anointing is gone been there we all share moments. We all share the, the anointing, that, 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 that the presence of God with us. But we're all human. And so what happens is you come in here, you get spirit-filled. God is in you, but on the way out or when you get home, something can go wrong. And all of a sudden, you lose your consecration. You lose your sanctification. Well, thank God that Scripture fully provides, that, provides for that. But it involves you humbling yourself and honoring God and knowing the moment Knowing that you had an intimacy and now I've lost it, the first thing you need to do there is humble yourself and go back to God. And it's, uh, Scripture talks about one day for consecration unto the Lord. Psalms 35, 13. Psalm 35, 13. Yet when he's talk, uh, David talking about when people were, were ill and stuff, but he makes the point about humbling himself. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth, and what did I do? I humbled myself with fasting. And when you value the presence of God, you will go back to him, you will repent, you will put it right, and you will restore that intimacy at all costs. Leviticus 23, 27. Leviticus 23, 27. The Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of the seventh month is a day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is a day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord. Um, those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from among their people. I mean, God had a pretty serious case on fasting, didn't he? Wow. He intended that we set a aside time and repair the, the, the presence of God in our lives. And, may, you know, Jeanette really did teach me so well in this, on this score. Any argument we ever had, we argued like any other couple. But right from the get-go, you know, when we were first kind of dating, if, if she did anything wrong, and she does, 
Jeanette would do something wrong. She would take two paces. She would turn around and say, sorry. Couldn't live. Can't, can't, get, can't move if she knows that spirit's not right. And she's offended God and he's leaving. You know what I mean. So fast. And I looked at that with great admiration that she didn't. She valued the presence of God more than her own pride. Are you with me? And she didn't care how she looked. And I very quickly picked up that same attitude, that same spirit towards her. That if anything was wrong, I say, look, I'm sorry I said that. Sorry I did that. Remember what it's like walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is whenever I get the right side of the line. Remember? So if you offend me, Isabel, or sorry, if I offend you, but I don't say sorry for seven days, I'm in the flesh for seven days. But then I can get a little bit better and I wait four days and then one day. But the answer is to get into the spirit. And when I've said something wrong, I don't leave the spirit. I immediately say sorry. Are you with me? So you need to put your pride firmly beneath your feet. And fasting is one of the ways that God, thank you for this, God, accepts. He says that you can humble yourself with fasting. Look at me, Pete. Please listen because I'm giving you a very careful important key for some of you you don't even realize it some of you are so proud that your relationships can often be in shreds or your relationships are a facade because you will not say sorry don't tell me i'm wrong because i'm right with your parents your brother your sister you will not say sorry and you have held that for years what are you going to do begins with f fast You've got a wall up. You've got something against someone in your workplace, your colleagues, and you're holding that proud ground. We've all been there. I've been there. I know. I understand that. But God, in his great grace, he says, you know what? Maybe you can't get the words out of your mouth fast. (laughs) Fast. And your spirit will start to change. Your attitude will will start to change. And goodness knows that's correct. Your spirit will start to dominate instead of your flesh. And all of a sudden, that apology looks very small. Apology looks so insignificant in comparison to his presence in you. Now, those different, everybody's different. Some people really struggle with pride, and some of you do. Humble yourself with fasting. And you will find that that ogre can be slayed in your life like everybody else's. Point four has got to be the most amazing scripture of all scriptures Uh, uh, one day for deliverance all of us here have got long-standing battles that we fight you've got things that you've been praying for whether it's the salvation of your loved ones or breakthrough in your career or whatever i don't know your health but scripture has a wonderful promise here for deliverance even in one day even tomorrow that god can answer us if we listen and obey the principles we see here in scripture judges chapter 20 and verse 18 okay just before i read that sorry just look up at me a moment have you ever asked god something for direction uh, say you know you were going to move to edinburgh or something so you say god 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 get me a direction should i shouldn't i should i shouldn't i and god says yes move to edinburgh and it's a disaster the whole thing is a flop from beginning to end have you ever sought god And felt that he guided you. You felt you were on the right road only to discover that the thing is a complete mess. Have you been there? You're all too frightened to say yes. I think we've all been there. It's a confusing moment. This is what's happening Israel in the book of Judges chapter 20 verse 18. Look at this. 
The Israelites are fighting the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of the Lord. They're asking God what to do. They said, who of us is to go up first to the fight against the Benjaminites? So God replies, the Lord replied, Judah can go first. So God's telling them to go to battle. The next morning, the Israelites got up and pitched camp near Gibeah. The Israelites went out to fight the Benjaminites and took up battle positions against them at Gibeah. The Benjaminites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield. Thanks, God. Right? So they seek God. He tells them to go to battle. They go to battle and they are completely obliterated. 22,000 people dead. This is not funny. This is not a joke. Verse 22, look at what they do. But the Israelites encouraged one another and again took up their positions. They had stationed themselves in the first day. The Israelites went up and they wept before the Lord. 22,000 husbands, fathers dead. They wept before the Lord all day until evening. And then they inquired of the Lord again. They said, shall we go up again and fight? That's great faith in God, isn't it? Against the Benjaminites, our fellow, is, is, our fellow Israelites. The Lord answered, go up against them. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This is the second time. This time when the Benjaminites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000. So God, you ask God, he speaks to you, you do what he says and you're destroyed. But you're patient, you're faithful, so you go back to God again. And you speak to him again, and you hear his voice. Go! And you go, and now you've got a further 18,000. That's 40,000 in two days. Dead. But look at the people. Look at what they do. Verse 26. 40,000 funerals have got to be held. Verse 26. Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. What does the next line say? They fasted. They fasted, and they prayed. They fasted that day until evening and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord in those days. The ark, I'll skip to the end of the brackets. They asked, shall we go up again and fight against the Benjaminites, our fellow Israelites, or not? The Lord responded, what? Go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Confused? <laughs> what on earth is happening here? What is happening? By the way, that's the first time he said, go for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. And indeed, they went and they had victory. Eyes forward. You can pray. There's a thing called God's economy. Every person in this room knows that you should fast. You know that you should fast, right? You've been taught that since Sunday school. You've been taught it here. We know that we should fast. And we know that certain demons like the... Uh, demoniac, you know, this kind can only come out with prayer and fasting. But we don't want to fast. And these Israelites, they already knew that they should fast. Because people say, well, why didn't God tell them to fast, right? When they were praying. Because they already knew. Right? And you already know. And God answered the question. I like Andrew Womack's story about the university. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. Womack went before God, and he's a man I really trust. And he said, God, in terms of which university do I go to? Do I go to Los Angeles, you know, Florida, or Chicago? And God said, go to Chicago. And it was a disaster. It was a mess. And Womack goes back to God and says, why did you tell me that to go to... He said, because you only gave me three options. I didn't want you to go to any of those three. I want you to go for here. You understand? And he should have known not to give God options. 
give God a blank sheet. Right? It's not McDonald's. You're not placing an order. And you're not asking, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's a fool's route. You ask God's blessing on what we plan. And Womack made that mistake. And it was a great lesson. But here's the same thing. Womack should have known. So God said, you're giving me three options. I'll choose the best of the three. But it's not my first choice. And so it is with the Israelites. They knew that they should have fasted, but they didn't. Instead, they wanted to take the easy route. They wanted just to pray. And you will hear from God, but it is your problem. It's your fault, if I may say so. If you don't go about that approach to God and implementation of his word the correct way. Are you with me? Do you understand? So take it seriously, folks. Whatever battle you face, whatever deliverance you need, that was a deliverance they got point four. Isn't it wonderful to hear God say, I'll answer your prayer tomorrow. Wow. I'll answer that prayer. What you've asked me, I'm going to do it. And the Lord responded, go for tomorrow. I will give them into your hands. You don't have to wait anymore. You've come the right route. You've obeyed my word. You knew what was right to do. And now you've done it. Amen. Fifthly, we can fast in order to avoid judgment. And if this wasn't in the Bible, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't believe it. 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. It's difficult to know which person in Scripture gets the worst press or which person God despises the most. But Ahab and Jezebel are right up there. And if you read these chapters, you will see that God has severe words to say about both Jezebel and Ahab. Ahab was a wicked, wicked, wicked king. And God despised their actions and everything else. And the, the, the prophet Naboth comes to Ahab, this wicked king who has abandoned God. He's corrupted his position. And the prophet Naboth comes and says, Jezebel's going to die. And by the way, Ahab, you're going to be struck down at the gate of the city and the dogs will come and lick up your blood. This will be your death, king. I repeat, the scathing comments that God himself makes about Jezebel and Ahab are, I can't find them anywhere else where he despised them both. But listen, Ahab heard that he was going to be killed in a terrible way. And look at what he does. Verse 27, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and... Here's probably the most wicked man in the Old Testament. An enemy of God. When he heard that he was going to die, he put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and he went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Wow. I tell you what, folks. (laughs) I don't think any of us are in the same league as Ahab. That's one guy and a half there, or Jezebel. But if God Almighty is so good, and he is, so gracious, so kind, that he is willing to turn and listen to the prayers and the pleadings and the fastings of incredibly wicked Ahab, will he listen to you? 
for whom his son has already died. Will he listen to you? He will most certainly listen to you. But fasting for me is like washing. I wash myself and that gives me permission to come in to the presence. It, it ushers me in whether it's like an escalator, you know. I am automatically just proceed into his presence without doing anything. Just by humbling myself, denying myself, I end up in a completely different spiritual place. I repeat what I said last week about the bucket list. You know what a bucket list is? Everyone should have a list of things they intend to do whilst they're on this earth. In that bucket needs to be proper fasting. What a tragedy for you to live and die without ever having properly embraced this. Are you with me? What a terrible mistake it would be to make. I'm facing huge challenges. You know my story. I'm moving into central London. Central London is not central Glasgow. Trust me. It's a war. I may as well be on another planet. The demands are enormous. I've made an assessment and I realize that the huge changes that are required of me, I need a complete metamorphosis in about six months' time. So I need to change just about everything that I am, every aspect of who I am. There's things I don't want to change, but I love the goal. I love the target. I love the church. There's things about me that I want, I'm quite happy for them to stay the same. But I understand that I will therefore miss my goal. I'll miss my calling just because of you know, reticence in me to move on in life. So I'm facing enormous challenges. The more I fast, the smaller those challenges look. <laughs> oh, yes. The more he comes into you, the more his presence is there, the smaller the challenges look until they're minuscule. He is mighty and they are minuscule. Just like that telescope. How's your future, folks? How's your future? Are you in darkness? Are you dead? Or is the relationship alive? Are you proud? Humble yourself. These doors open. Every now and again, these doors open. And you must go through. You must go through. I had Jeanette at home for three or four days this week. And she has moments. Thank you, Agnes, for your prophecy. It's come true twice now. Um, She has moments of complete lucidity where she's there. She's back. It's just, it's, I can't even put it in words. I'm not going to go into it because I'll break down. But this week... I had her at home on my own because Rachel hadn't arrived yet, her daughter. And I was just singing, actually. She was sitting in the chair. Sometimes she doesn't know where she is or what's happening. So I was just singing and worshipping God and fasting. And she's sitting there when all of a sudden, whoa, she's back. And she got up. She got down on one knee. And she started to pray. I've recorded it. I'm not going to show it to you because it's too emotional. You want to see her go. It was like putting the clock back six years. She prayed like a trooper. In fact, she doesn't know anything about fasting. I didn't explain anything. But she was screaming about hunger. Give us a hunger, God! Jesus, as I listened to her, I thought, now that is God. That's God. I was very moved, touched, encouraged. Wonderful. Just wonderful. Don't get taken up by life and the world and everything in it. It is a bitter, bitter pill. Okay? You should live your life with the end in mind. Not tomorrow. Not today. Live it with the end in mind. What are you going to present Jesus when this is all over? 
when this whole life here is over, goodness knows when that's going to be, the way things are going. It's very soon, very soon, you know. See, I'm a prophet. And I repeat, things happen to me so that I can tell you I have to endure and you have to watch because you're going to need to watch and learn the same lesson. So forgive me for all my failures. Uh, but I'm still stuck with my New Year's Day. I'm stuck, folks. My clock just stopped. Because I became very painfully aware he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. The Lord's coming back. And it was, I, I, I know I could feel it in my spirit. I'm not leaving you here. You know, very grace, very kind. I'm not leaving you here. Get, get yourself together. Sure, 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 sure. Sorry, got distracted. <laughs> wow. What about you? You dead? Religious? Some of the most faithful people in churches are the most dead. Do you know that? It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute fact. Never miss a meeting. Faithful in their ministry. And stone, cold, dead. Just plain old religion because it appeases our conscience. It makes us feel we've, we've, we've done our dues. We're right with God. Read the book of Proverbs. Today I went to the temple, O oh God. Right? So don't get sucked into that whole religious mindset. It means nothing to God at all. We're talking about a living relationship. If you are not hearing from him, then how far away are you really from him? If you can't hear my voice, you wouldn't be in the room, right? You'd be off somewhere. And if you cannot hear your master's voice, that is a severe sign of sickness even unto death. Sixthly, look at this in 1 Samuel. And this is about healing, which I know, obviously, it's pertinent with Jim's situation. It's pertinent with my situation. And I don't want to say anything that this scripture is not saying. But look at how this Egyptian was healed from his sickness through fasting, albeit that fast was enforced. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 11. David and his army are passing through the wilderness and they find this sick soldier who's just been healed. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 11. They found an Egyptian in a field and they brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived. For he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David, eyes forward please. David's passing through the wilderness and there's this slave who has been with the Egyptian army. And whatever was wrong with him, the Egyptians looked at him and thought he's going to die because he's worth money. He's as good as dead. So they throw him aside. And David comes along three days later and the man, he gives him some food and the man is well again. Three days and nights without food or water. Is he still sick? No. Suddenly, he's well again. He's healed. So they thought he was going to die. But he just stopped eating for a little while. And now he's well again. Nobody prayed for him. Nothing. So, scripture doesn't elaborate. I won't elaborate. Just read it and believe what you read. Whatever sickness was in his body, he needed to stop eating. And just that little bit of rest to his physical body was enough to expel whatever virus, whatever... Are you with me? Some sicknesses, they thrive on proteins. Some sicknesses thrive on other things. But if you will just stop like this guy did, 
that fast, be it enforced as it was, was enough to actually clean out his system. Now, I'm not going to look at the physiological benefits of fasting today. I'm not qualified to do such a thing, which is why I haven't read the sheets to you. I want to have them reviewed before I do that. But however, without a shadow of a doubt, a lot of the sicknesses and diseases in our bodies are definitely caused because we never give our system a break. And the Muslims fast, don't they? Right? People of the world fast, and yet our scripture guides us to do that. Day one and two on water. If you have water only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week, you'll probably get headaches. You might feel dizzy. But it's just habit. It's just you're, you're not hungry at all. Okay? It's just habit. It's just your hunger pangs. It's more mental than it is physical. But what will happen is your, all the food within yourself will be expelled from your body, and your body doesn't quite know what's happening. By the time you hit the fourth day or fifth day, you will undergo a major shift within yourself. It doesn't feel nice, but your body will turn then because the digestive system is no longer working, working, working on food. It's free. And the first thing the body does is turn and looks at your system. It will begin with your lungs and it will start to do work that's been pending for years. Stuffing you, you know, decades old repair work that should have been done. It repairs your lungs and you start to bring up yellow gunk. You think, where did that come from? Well, that's, that's why you were short of breath, by the way. It starts to clear you out. Then it turns to your intestines and your colon and starts to, you know, I've forgotten the word, clean out your system. And your body has amazing restorative powers for all sicknesses. No, I'm not saying for all sicknesses. Not at all. But what I'm saying is it gives your system the chance to you know, revive itself and repair itself. The toxins that leave your body in the beginning are just the stuff in your bloodstream from coffee, tea, whatever. But after about 20 days on water, then the to- most of the toxins, the damaging ones, live in your legs. They're in your bones and your legs. But it takes about 15, 20 days on water before your body's able to drag them out and expel them. And if you make it to your 35 to 40 days, depending on whether you're male or female, you can break that fast slowly and sensibly with juices, etc. But by the time you come out the other side, you will feel better than you felt when you were four years old. Your body will have... I'm not saying it heals everything. Didn't say that. Because that's not true. But it will do what it can do. It will repair what it can repair. Okay? So this soldier, this slave rather, was sick. He was sick. And just three days of giving his body rest was enough to make him well again. And if we overtax our system, if we overtax our our bodies, yes, we will pay a price for it. So just there's nothing spiritual about that particular point. But it's just a factual point and something we should look at. Last point, and this is one, through this coming year, I'm going to try and work my way through all seven of these fasts in some way, shape, or form. But the last fast was the 40 days that Jesus did. I repeat, I don't want you to do that without consultation either with your pastors or with a doctor because 40 days of fasting is a fair old stretch. That's a a long way to go. Uh, The first Adam in the Garden of Eden, he lost all authority. He lost all dominion on the earth because he ate. And the last Adam, Jesus Christ, regained the authority because he didn't eat. Okay, so please don't resist because of your culture, because of your traditions.
because of your background. I'm Irish. We like potatoes. <laughs> we, every, we all have cultures. What we're talking about here is way above our culture. Can we say amen? What we're talking about here has got nothing to do with culture whatsoever. This is kingdom stuff. I'm born again. I'm in the kingdom. And whatever issue you face, be that a crisis, what are you going to do? Fast for three days. Three days. If you've got a crisis in your home, crisis with your family, fast for three days. If you lose your anointing, what are you going to do? One day. Set a day aside. If you don't know where you're going, if you're confused about your future and you haven't heard from God, what are you going to do? 21 days, partial fast. You can have your food, but you're, you know, partial fast like David did. And he will begin to open up those things. If you've made a big mistake, you've fallen, and you're going to incur the judgment of God like Ahab. One day fast, you humble yourself. If God sees Ahab, he will see you Hallelujah. Let's bow your heads. Lord, with everything within us, we're determined not to be religious and not to congratulate ourselves that we're in church or we're faithful. But rather, we will judge ourselves in comparison to Christ and in your walk and your ways and help us make a fresh assessment help us this morning Lord pray you'll fill every person afresh and anew with a determination to declare a holy fast Lord I pray these truths will take root within us and they will give birth to days and periods and times of fasting times of fellowship and oneness with you Lord God I'm going to give you a moment just to think about the crisis, the judgment, the revelation, whatever your need is, and to make a decision about how you're going to obey these scriptures and implement it in your life, individually, as a family, and eventually as a church.